Welcome to another edition of Cracking the Code. I'm Ryan Skinner and today's guest, George Mumford. Welcome, George. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be here. I'll give you a little backstory on my side of the thing with George. I'm going to hand it over to him. Um, years ago, I'm sitting in my therapist's office. I said to him, you know, I read this book that's really helping me. So this author wrote this book called The Mindful Athlete, but I can apply it to everything. And I said, it's, it's amazing. And at that point, I had just launched a program at a jail to be a volunteer. And my psychiatrist looks across the table and says, Ryan, I was involved in one of the first jail programs in the state. And my partner was that guy, George. I know him. And I said, no. So sure enough, I get George's number. I call him. I was interested in doing some work with him at the time. It just wasn't something I could bring into my sphere of my life. I wasn't at a point where a level where I could justify hiring because I wasn't there. Or what I thought I could justify. Looking back, um, I learned that if you if you bring certain things into your life earlier on, you'll, you'll level up. Um, George, this whole podcast, well, it's called Cracking the Code, and ironically, your new book is called Unlocked. But this whole podcast is about people who are doing well, fell, hit a road bump, you know, sometimes depression, drugs, alcohol, you know, suicide, you name it, and how they came back. Uh, you know, if you don't mind, you have a really interesting backstory. If you don't mind signing college ball. Yes. So I was rooming with Dr. J, Julius Irving, at UMass, and I would have been a walk-on. So we were... We were intending on playing basketball together, and and we have this. Of course, the basketball season starts in October when you have trials and whatnot. But we were early in September, and I'm playing pickup basketball with the team, and one of the guys on the team that I was actually would have been uh, competing with, he cut my legs underneath from underneath me, and I ended up chipping bones in my ankle, and that was pretty much it. I was, I was done after that. And even though I, you know, new tryouts came, I tried trial, but my, my knee, my ankle just wouldn't, wouldn't be there. So I, so I got addicted even before that, I got addicted to pain meds and then heroin and alcohol. And so that, that's when, um, my, my drug and drug use took off, but I was a, I was a, what you would call a functional addict you know I could still I still worked and everything and you know I worked for years like that but it took so much from me I stopped interacting with Dr. J because I didn't want to bring that around him and then my roommate Al Skinner so that went on so that's that started that was 1970 when that happened so by the time you know I graduated from college and, and ironically you went into finance like I, was, I went into finance <laughs> yes well that is an interesting story about that because when I was in high school my coach high school coach said that accountants make good money. So that's not, he put the idea in my head. So I, I, my major was in accounting and my mind was mathematics. But the thing was, it kept going that way until at some point in 1984, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I had lost my car, I was losing everything, but I knew enough to keep my job. And so I actually, I mean, it was, it was a lifestyle. It was really tough because I was getting high multiple times a day. And, and I remember, um, having a strep infection in my arm. And so I was walking around with 100, 304 degree temperature. I didn't even know I was sick. I went to the hospital, they kept me. And then then they, um, so I had to kind of get cold turkey a little bit because they were afraid to give me drugs. Then they gave me Percocet. I mean, they have no idea what they're doing. But anyway, <laughs> make it make the long story short, um, on April Fool's Day, a friend of mine, uh, Danny came by and he took me to a 12 step meeting. And that's when I got I got an inkling of what was possible. I seen the possibility. 
but I continued to use until I was able to to work with a therapist and, and get into a, um, a detox during, you know, the place I worked. I had security clearance, so I couldn't really tell them what was going on. So on the down low, uh, during the plant shutdown every August, three month, uh, every summer, July and August, I um, I got into detox and I got out and, and I turned my life around uh, from there in terms of just being able to um, allow people to help me. And so that's how I, I got into my recovery and then it, it just took off. So to say that it took off is, is a huge understatement because what you did, it, it did just take off. You did things, in my opinion, that made it take off. For example, um, living in a meditation center, that, that's a unique thing. Yeah. And being willing to do something to be of service that you didn't think at the time there'd be any money and you just did it because it was just who you are at this point. Yes, yes. So thank you for reminding me about that because what happened was when I got clean, I discovered I had chronic pain. And so I ended up, uh, you know, I was in that one of the first HMOs um, and they had a program called stress management. So that's how I got into this stuff. And so once I got into like meditation and but really what it did was it was a lifestyle change. It told me that I was responsible and that instead of going to a doctor and having them give me a, a pill or cutting something out, that I had to be a partner with them. I had to be able to share with them how I was feeling and 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 be involved in, in making choices or to take responsibility for my, for my mind and body, my process, which I didn't even know where they were connected at the time. But yeah, so it, it kept, I kept growing and reading, um, you know, coming up on 39 years of sobriety, oh, I read over a book great. a week during that whole time. So it taught me that, you know, and I got, I, I felt, and this was interesting because I listened to myself and there's a part of me that wanted to be intellectually stimulated. So I started reading books and I was interested. Well, how did I get clean? And I still got a lot of dudes that are in jails and institutions that ain't clean like a highway. Yeah. Right. And how did I do it? And they didn't. So, so I started investigating it. And then at some point, I left my job as a financial analyst and took a couple of years off. But before that, I went back to school and got my master's in counseling psychology. So I was just, you know, it was like I was letting myself be myself. And it's, it's kind of strange, but it's like when I get clear about who I am, it's like then doors will open where there were no doors. People would would help me come out of nowhere to help me and to support me in my process. I think the universe colludes with us when we, at least with me, it did. And so then I kept, so you're right, I kept doing things, went back to school. I was teaching in a detox while I was still working in finance. Uh, I was doing a lot of things until I quit my job because I couldn't, it was just like recovery. I couldn't stay and I couldn't leave. But I got to a point where I just said, I'm out in two years. I just took off and just focused on my own development, going to meetings and, and meditating. And I moved into a meditation center, but I continued to evolve and to grow in terms of my, you know, and initially we talk about physical, mental, and spiritual, but I added the emotional component because that's the heart and the support system. So I started working on those four aspects of being and just things kept happening and happening. And so, yeah, I ended up being in places and at some point, I realized that the two things that I really liked about recovery is more. Um, I call it my triple post offense. Of course, I work with Phil Jackson and uh, use a triple post offense. And my triple post offense is my medallion. It's recovery, unity, and service. 
And so for me, is if I want to keep something, I got to give it away. And if I want to learn something, I need to teach it. And so that's how it came about where I started doing things and doors open and I ended up being in places I never thought I'd be. Well, you touched on something that kind of gets you to these places. When we get out of our own way, I mean, so many of us with drugs or alcohol, or I, you know, my friend Don calls it the case of the busies, whether you're busy with your kids, your spouse, you know, those are all things you're supposed to do, but we could also use those as a mechanism to defend against what, you know, yes. to having to find our true self. A lot. For the last X amount of years I was going through, I was holding on to identity as a business owner, as a father, as a husband, so that I didn't really have to continue to grow as a me, as a, as a person, as, a, as Ryan. And it wasn't until I started realizing, hold on, I've got to clear some of this clutter. It doesn't mean I can't do all these things right. well. In fact, if I get to know me better and I let the world unfold, I'll be better at all these things. And you're right, the universe, when we get out of the way, I, I read a book once called Divine Alignment. It talks about how God puts people on a path as we mm -hmm. go almost like little guiding signs. Mm -hmm. You know, Steve Jobs said in his commencement speech at Stanford, um, looking back, it's easy to connect the dots. <laughs> and it always is. Like, I can see where you came into my life, where Dr. Peltz came, this person, that. But going forward, we have to be open enough. And like you always say, say yes. And saying yes to the possibility, yes to what's going on in the world. When you do that, things kind of unfold. They have a natural, you know, unfolding. Uh, well, one thing you mentioned, you touched on Phil Jackson. One of the craziest stories is you, you end up with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Yes, yes. That, that was very interesting because it, what happened was when I left my job as a financial analyst and I started investigating, uh, exploring different things, I ended up working in prison, you know, and then I started uh, a prison project at UMass Medical Center in Worcester. And John Capuzin was the founder of that organization, but he also taught at this place called Omega in, up in Rhinebeck, New York. Yeah. Uh, he was doing um, a, a training for um, healthcare providers like social workers and, and clinicians. And at the same time, Phil Jackson was teaching this uh, course called um, Beyond Basketball. And it was a way to raise money for his teammate to pass away, he had a heart attack playing basketball. His name was Eddie Mast. And so he did it to raise money. And so they were there at the same time and they got to know each other. And in 1993, that summer, when they were doing their respective programs, um, Phil Jackson was, had just won his third NBA championship as the coach of the Chicago Bulls. So that was 91, 92, then 93. And he wanted somebody to come in and work with the team to deal with the stress of success. And then my name came up and he realized, oh, he went with Dr. J. He's been in the pro game. And yeah, okay, we want him. And so that August, we decided that I would come there and, and training camp in October. So that's how that started. And then once that started, everything, uh, you know, we disconnected and, and then I started developing and creating things for them. But it was me just being a service, not really knowing what I was getting into, but just saying yes to it and, and showing up and, and asking the question, how could I serve? Because you think about it, I'm going to work with a team that just won three NBA championships in a row. That hasn't been done since the Celtics in the 60s. So what am I going to say to them? And that's when I realized, you know, I just have to let go of God and just, just, just go in and see how I can help. And that's what I did. And then when I started figuring things out, once I got there, which I believe in, if you show up, you will show out and just go in there and just see it. And, and so that was 30 years ago. That's crazy. 
So, George, yeah, that was unique what they did. Um, what was more unique was what they did in the next four, three or four years. But more importantly, um, I think if you watch anybody who watches sports and watches from a point of uh, not just trying to see who wins, but what goes on, like what defines them. If you watch the Bulls after that, they set the record for the most wins up until that point. They, yeah. There was something uh, – Michael Jordan, for example, was just one example. He matured to a level where his game was more – Earlier, it was flash and sticking his tongue out everywhere and flying around. After that, it was wins. And even when he, whether he was on top and they were up 20 or they were down 10, his face didn't change. And it's that inner, um, it's that inner security. And I've learned to do that. You taught me how to do it when I give presentations. People on my team, they say, well, you know, I hope this goes, goes. I'm like, it'll go well. It'll go exactly how it's supposed to. And um, there are times that means we take on some great clients. Other times we don't take on clients. It goes exactly how it's supposed to in business. Now, for me, it's at a point where I can see, like, I remember reading something by Kobe Bryant wrote, because we'll get to a minute, but we went to the Lakers, you coached him, and he talked about, like, how to be in that space where you're not anticipating, you're not really dreading, you're just, you're right where you are. And when I'm right where I am, business goes amazing. Because if I'm right where I am in a client meeting, I'm present with that client. I'm not thinking what's next. I'm not thinking what I could make or anything else. I'm just here to be a service. So, what do you think changed so much with the Bulls after that? Because even just focus Michael Jordan, because everyone knows Jordan. There was a clear difference. If you watch anything from the last dance, from the previous three to the last three, he was wired different. Yes. Well, I'd say we were playing on a spiritual level. We were able to, to connect. And and one of, one of Phil's um, mantras was, or still is, actually, even though he's not coaching, the strength of the wolf is in the pack, and the strength of the wolf, uh, the strength of the wolf is in the pack, and the strength of the pack is in the wolf. And so it's this idea of everybody moving, and you know, synergy. Everybody being a unit, being identified, you know, embracing the whole person of every person on the team. So it was really more about so learning, teaching them how to be in the moment, manage the moment, be mindful, but just just be in the moment, moment to moment. It's just know do what you know to do, but having a goal and then allowing it to unfold. So it's like, so you're right. So you've set an intention, but then you got to be open to how that intention will manifest. Because a lot of times people say, well, we got to win this way, this way we want. No, that was yesterday. That was history. Tomorrow's mystery. We got today. We focus on being in the moment. One one breath, one mind. That would I like be, that. That would be what we created. And I know uh, from what I hear um, that I know that team could have won two more championships, but then that's when the ego gets involved and then, uh, then, then people leave or get pushed out or whatever. And, but they had, they had a rhythm, they had a system, they had a culture that could have continued to evolve, but it, it stopped. And that's the thing about life. Things change. And sometimes it's because, uh, as a new coach or, or the, General manager decides he wants to go in a different way, or or players decide they want to go for to a team that where they can really express themselves more. But you can see a lot of times when you break up a dynasty like that, you don't really recover for a while. Yeah, well, two things you said: um, the players want to express themselves, and that means they want to show off and make more money. Let's call it like it is, because um, you express yourself best. Like a wolf, for example, they're at their best in a pack. You know, there's, yeah. the lone wolf thing doesn't work. And if you look what happened with the Bulls, not one of them had success after. 
I mean, Sky Pippen was bouncing around like, you know, like a ping pong ball. Jordan, I mean, he should have never came back. It was just never, it wasn't the right. They, they probably could have gone another two because they had a synergy. They were getting old, but they were old and still good. A system works. Yeah, but the thing was, it wasn't like they wanted to go for more money. That the ownership and leadership didn't want to pay them what they were worth. See, this is this well, is. Well, I'm not, I was using the Bulls for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the Bulls. Oh, well, Scotty Pippen. Yeah, was yeah. Getting but but here's the time. point. The point is that there's certain things that happen, and there's certain you know you it's, you got to treat people like a whole person, and when you don't treat them like a whole person, or when they decided, I think in that case. I think management decided they wanted to get rid of everybody except for MJ and rebuild. I think Which so. It wasn't that, that that people wanted to get more money. Now Horace Grant left and got way more money, uh, and then when Scotty left because he was kicked out, he got more money. Uh, I don't think Dennis played again, but he, but played, he, no, he played in LA. But sadly. okay, but but not but not the, to the level. So what I'm saying is the the conditions were right for them to continue to dominate, even if they. Uh, brought another you know, person in or, or made some adjustments. But the thing is, this is the challenging part, is sometimes people think that they're the cause, because and this was what was said. I won't get into it too much, but... Well, I mean, the GM at the time took yeah, all the credit, he, as he, if he was in the ball. He, yeah, he was, well, he was that's, that's, like a ball. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. He, the self-centered fair, he says organizations win championships, not individuals or teams. And you know this is this is what he so now he figured out that that wasn't true, but it's it always comes down to fear, doubt, or insecurity that shows up that that where people can't see what's there, and I just think the powers that be there didn't see that they had a dynasty and they could build on it if they could just get out of the way and just allow things to happen instead of wanting to take credit. And this happened, I believe, this happened with with the Dallas Cowboys with. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and, and, and Jerry, the owner, uh, I forget Jerry's name. Jones. Jones. They were roommates in college. Were they really? Yes. And so this is what I understand. So they won a couple of championships and now they want to decide who takes. Yeah, it's so you weird. Know, and then, then that goes down. Uh, when's the last time they, they won a championship? But this is all what I hear say. I can't really, I wasn't there, but this is what I hear. But I do know this, that they had something going on and they couldn't keep it going. Yeah. Well, there's always for, something for that kind of falls yeah. apart. So, and that's and so for me, what it, what it comes down to is, uh, for me, the always, you know, I got to develop the me, but the we is more important. And how do we sustain this? And sometimes things end. I mean, sometimes things. It's time for it to end. It just ends. It's not going to be sustainable. But there's some cases where we, where we 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 cut ourselves off from more success, more uh, fulfillment, more uh, potential because because somebody, people don't have the same commitment to the goal or to, to the whole whole team or the whole culture or whatever it is. But it happens all the time. It happens with the Beatles. It happens all the time. It's very challenging to sustain excellence for an extended period of time. Now, Phil Jackson's teams were able to do it but that's because he had culture and he, he viewed each person as a whole person that he wanted them. He didn't see them at basketball plays. He saw them as, as spiritual beings that needed to be supported in their personal and professional growth. Well, yeah, he was a unique guy. He saw, and there is, there are so many components. And what you hit on that I think is so important is at least my belief, what I took out of that was 
not it's not always the outside stuff that makes an organization sports a financial business like mine anything fall apart it's usually they implode uh, it's management and i know as a, as a business owner i struggle with managing people because like, i genuinely care about the people on my team like as people as, as family and when i have to come down a little or crack the whip low i hate that term but you know when i have to really bring things up it's hard because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I'm finally getting to a point where I, it's not. I look at. It, I don't. I have to have enough respect for you to correct you. Like I want you to stay here. There's there was one person who was you know early on, and I said to this individual, "I want to. I'm hard on you because I care because I want you to be here." And so if, if done right, yeah, you know, seeing them as a whole individual, genuinely caring about their home life, what goes on when they leave here, like who are they? Not just as a. That's what matters, at least to most of us. Anywhere we go. Um, yes. So, so Phil goes over to the Lakers. You end up there, yeah. Yes. Well, he he brought me over, and and, and that was a, a easier step because he had just won three NBA championships. So he took a year off. So just think about that experience. So, I I joined the Bulls in '93. We struggled two years, and then '96, '97, '98, we win championships. '99, Phil takes the year off. 2000, 2001, 2002, we went three more championships. So in a seven-year period, with being with Phil and his coaches and the system he created and we created in terms of the the mental game, the inside game, we won six championships in seven years. That's crazy. You know, and I did, I did, yeah, I didn't realize that until later on, years later, when I was putting my my experience together, and I said, "Holy crap, man!" Because you're just in the moment. When you're in the moment, you don't really recognize that. But you can do a lot if you just do this one thing. The only time we have is now. And if we manage the now, everything else is going to be going to be fine. But what you talked about, you said, of course, it's hard for you to manage people because you don't manage people. You lead people. We manage things. But yeah. it, it's a two sides of the coin. The person has to has to be willing to to meet you at least halfway or and be willing to say, okay, I'm going to let go and I'm going to do things for the greatest good. But it has to be, there has to be, that's why we talk about core values and a worthy cause, but we also talk about uh, mutual benefit, mutual respect, coming from abundance, not from scarcity. Think win-win, you know, or no, no, or think, think win-win or, or no deal. But it's really more about how can we create a, an environment and being leaders as leaders it's interesting, I, I just uh, was at the President's Conference in Copenhagen and one of the presenters was Stephen Covey, uh, you know, the son of Stephen Covey that wrote Seven Habits yeah. of Highly Effective People. And he has a new book out called Trust and Inspire. So he talks about this idea of modeling, trusting, inspiring. So we have to look at people. We have to sh share power with not, but we have to help them. And this is what maybe talking about the Bulls is really helpful. So when Phil took over as a coach, he told Michael, Michael had to do less so the other guy could do more. So what, what they had to do was had to uh, develop everybody else professionally and personally so that, that Michael could share the ball, share power with them, share leadership with them, but they have to do the work. So every, the team is only as strong as, a, as the weak as me. And so what had to happen was they had to get into a process where everybody learned how to handle the ball. Everybody had to learn things so that now it was, wasn't like carrot and sticking, you know, like somebody yeah. does and you come down. To, it's like having the values and having a commitment from the person to really be willing to be generous. I don't like the word sacrifice, be generous and to do things for the greatest good 
but at the same time, you you feel like a whole person. You feel like you can use your mind, your body, and your your heart, your soul, your spirit, and that you are getting a share of of the rewards. And so this this idea of you know uh, fair exchange and all of that stuff that we could do that, but we can create an environment and there's, there's people out there that have done it where people come because they have the same values as you and it's not about the money because the money only only motivates yeah, money, us to certain yeah, amount. Money only comes in. But feeling for something greater, some some intrinsic value like being part of something greater than yourself and feeling like you're making a difference in the world, that, that meaning and contribution, but also this idea of treating everybody like the way you want to be treated. And so there's this mutual benefit, mutual respect. Sure. And it doesn't mean there's, there's a power thing, but it's like everybody's here. So they come in and they work for you and they don't say, this is Ryan's company. This is our company. Oh no, yeah. That, that is that, the attitude yeah. around here, which I yeah. love. And I'm very lucky for a number of years. I have people that say, you know, I work for Ryan. This and that. They might joke around and say, hey, boss, man, to bust my cookies because they know I don't like it. It's, it's not about me. It's a wee program. Yeah. yeah. I've been very lucky for years. I mean, you've been around me. Like I've had, Four out of five good, or six out of seven, or three out of six. Now I can tell you, everybody that works for me is right where they're supposed to be. We belong together. Um, I definitely have given up more of the line share, the, the bonuses and stuff. I'd rather see them make money. I want them to buy their first house. I want them to know they have security. God's been good to me, and I, for me, it's more about it's no longer about dollars and cents. It's about the reward of going to work and knowing the machine's going to run well. Clients will call whatever they need is done right. So George, I know I alluded to the the Kobe story, so. There was a time a couple of years back where I had, we were doing workshops a lot to take on new clients at that time. And I had like two or three that were just horrible. Either the people didn't fit or I didn't think they'd be good clients. And, and I was devastated. And I was, you know, I didn't feel like I had to have any business coming out of it. I mean, we had enough going, but it wasn't, it started, I started feeling like, oh God, you know, we're not going to grow anymore. And then you shared a Kobe story that really helped me. Yeah. So Kobe, he was playing and I think they got swept. It might have been one of the first games that I saw him play before I was working with the team. So he shot air balls. And so when he went back to um, where he lived, Newport Beach, and Kobe's good for cold calling somebody, having people's numbers. He called the janitor and asked, and asked the janitor to open up the gym. And he shot for eight hours. He shot for eight hours. And, and then... And then that's, that was his mentality. So when he made a mistake, he would, he would correct it. So he got in there. That's how he dealt with that disappointment. But when I, when I started working with him, I felt he had this, like every shot he was making was like, he, want, he acted like it was 35 points. You know, it's like he just had a, you know, he had this energy. And, and so this idea of scoring 32 points and you do it mathematically, eight points a quarter or whatever. And so obviously he had been struggling and, you know, if he only scores four points in the first quarter, then that puts more pressure on the end of the game. So it was during warm-up, a, a, a new game, and I said to Kobe, I said, Kobe, the best way to score is not to try to score. In other words, let the game come to you. Take it one, 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 one shot, you know, just read the situation and then it's because you're limiting yourself if you only think you can get eight, uh, eight shots. So he ended up <coughs> 16 points in the first quarter. And so, so that's it. But that's the mentality is when he made a mistake, he was going to go and correct it. It was just this mama mentality. And that meant if he wanted to, if he had to shoot for eight hours or for how, until he felt like he was okay, that he could, but it's the lesson and he learned from it.
but that was the thing. The thing was what I was saying, I don't remember it, but here's the, the flavor of it is just make, make just make the next play. <laughs> well, I think, I think the way he put it was the fact that when you said not to try not to score yeah. in the game, it, I believe the term he used was unfolded. It slowed down and it was, yes. that's the thing. So when I give a workshop or when I'm at work in my financial business, I'm usually amped up and talking fast and mumbling. But when I give a presentation, people can't get over it. It's like, whew, I slow down and I can feel each heartbeat and I can see each person's face and the smile, and the glass that moves the ice. It's like slow motion and business has gone amazing. I mean, I have people, that's how we started this. This started because financial advisors wanted me to coach them from how I went from being a heroin addict to where I am today. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that that's great to help financial advisors, but there's a lot of people who need real help. It doesn't have to be about money. So then we said, okay, we help guys that are in business. Then we help guys here, financial advisors in business, midlife crisis. Then we're just going to help guys. Anybody who needs help, if it's depression, anxiety, professional, some people are going to hire us as coaches and it's going to be a, It'll be a price and it's getting, we're going to earn some money and we'll just put it back into the business. This is not going to be a profit center for me. You know, my financial business, that's profitable. This is my way of contributing back to the stream of life. Um, and it's great. I mean, I guess like George, you know, a lot of people have podcasts. They pay their guests to be on. Um, I said to George, we're doing this thing to help people out. Yeah, where is it? When do you need me? And I know you've been flying around to Timbuktu and everywhere else promoting your book. And... You know, Leah, who's his assistant, said to me, oh, as soon as George is home, he'll be there next morning. And, and it means the world to me because I know the help you give me and I know the help we give other people. Um, George will be consistently involved with the weekly calls for those in coaching. Um, I think it's going to be a huge asset. So, George, you know, I think people need to understand is you're helping from a place of experience. Like myself, you're a heroin addict. Like myself, you're in finance. Um, and you overcame all these things. Can you give me three or four or five things that you do on a consistent basis that helped you when you, not just what you do now, because now you're up here. Mm -hmm. It's easy when somebody's mm -hmm. on top of the hill because they're like, yeah. I think three or four things, maybe a handful of things that people could implement now if they struggle with depression, drugs, alcohol. Yes, it's, it's one day at a time. Make the next play. Reset, reboot, renew. So what does that mean? That means, uh, you know, you have your... I have my iPhone, it's not here now, but that thing, it, it gets locked sometimes. It gets stuck in the in app. What do I do? I turn it off and turn it back on. It's at factory settings. So that's what I, so for me, it's really just do what you know to do. First things first, keeping things in the day, but it's okay for me to have a goal, what I want to achieve, but then I got to manage the moment. I just have to, so it's really as simple as me, taking responsibility and saying yes to everything. I mean, this is what I was doing before when I got into recovery. It's like, I, I, there's still things I do the same. I wake up, I ask for help. Um, I read some, some inspiration thing. I meditate and I pray. Well, they were there. So the other stuff you're talking about is great. Like make the next plan. So that's good for somebody like me who's in business, who's yeah. successful already. But the me who's getting on his feet and getting out of jail, you would have said, make the next play. I'd be like, what the fuck is the next play? Uh, so I yeah, love what yeah, you yeah, said. Yeah, 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 yeah. So know. when I was in recovery, the next play was to, it was kind of like a negative. Uh, if you don't drink and drug, you won't get high or drunk. 
you know, it was really that simple. But the main thing is connecting the higher power. Well, what you said, you wake up, you pray, and folks, when we say pray, you know, I call it God because it's just convenient for me. I grew up, I grew up Irish Catholic. I don't mean that God. We say, we use like a high power, call it energy, spirit of the universe. All you need to know is if you jump off a bridge, you can't fly. There's something greater than you that made a bird be able to fly. As long as you can accept that, you just, and even if you don't accept, just say, God, please help me with this. He, or please hire power, whatever the hell you call it. It will work. You don't have to, you'll see the results, then you'll believe. That's what I always say. You'll yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So going back to my recovery, and it's interesting because I had a friend that worked for the uh, 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 International uh, uh, brother, Brothers of uh, Electrical Brothers, whatever it is, the IBU, whatever it is, the uh, yeah. Union for Electrical Workers. And he used to send people to meetings, and I'd be in the meetings, and they used to go back to him and say, man, your, your boy George is tough on him. He said, what do you mean? He said, he told me to take the cotton out of my ears, put it in my mouth, sit my ass up front, and act like I didn't know shit. <laughs> well, so it's that, true. You got to be coachable. And, and, and that's what I did. But the thing is, for me, is connecting to higher power and having somebody and really understanding that that if I can manage moment to moment, I can manage a 24-hour day. I can just keep it really simple. But for me, it's connecting to higher power. So it's prayer, meditation, and service. So a big part of my recovery was doing something for somebody else, forgetting myself to find myself. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff. But it's really looking at things from a vantage point that there's, there's two things I used to say all the time. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And there's no problem in front of me greater than the power behind me. Uh, that. So, so those, those were two things like moment to moment. But it really does come down to reading. So for me, <clears throat> because I was intellectual and I know a lot, I had to behave my way into proper thinking. So I couldn't think my way into, I, okay, like I said, sit up front and, and just learn. You're here to learn. You're not here to socialize. So learn and understand what are the steps, you know, taking the steps and doing the work, you know, going to meetings for me, 30 meetings in 30 days, 60 meetings in 60 days, 90 meetings in 90 days. I had other, I had, a, I had people I could talk to, I had a self-help group, I had a sponsor, but it's really more about having a friend that you could talk to about whatever comes up. But it really comes down to saying, okay, this is where I am, this is what's happening, embracing it, saying, yes, this is, this is awareness, and then accepting it, and then what's the choice, what choices do I make, how do I make it better, or what, I have a program, I have a way of a life, a way of being, that I can practice these principles. And so for me, those slogans are really important. Anything that keeps me like, what's important now? But for me, I change it to this idea of, am I reacting or am I responding? And what that means is I have to, like you talked about slowing down. Best thing I, I, I learned how to do was to create space between stimulus and response. And so when there's space between stimulus and response, in that space, I have the freedom and power to choose. So what do I choose? So this could be half empty, half full. So the first thing I realized was it's half full. And so I'm coming from abundance. I'm coming from uh, the fact that I have, I have a masterpiece inside. All I got to do is, is chip away to let it, to get access to it. And how do I get access to it? Prayer, meditation, service. But it's also understanding that one thing at a time and what's important now, and that's what I have to keep asking myself. And of course, when I talk about sports, it's make the next play. So whether you missed 
four at bats or six at bats, when you go up to the next at bat, that's the only at bat you're focused on. I'm not big because otherwise I got to wait. That's easier said than done. No, of course. <laughs> but none of this stuff is easy. It's simple, but not easy. But here's the thing: you get to figure it. You get to try it out. You keep doing what you're doing, or you can try something different. And that's what's important. So the what they talk about the how, honesty, open mindedness, and willingness is really huge. But it's really coming from this place of I have everything I need to succeed. And what I need to do is be clear about what, what's the next thing. Because some of us are so used to being uh, impulsive and compulsive, we don't know what to do. That's where the behavioral your way and the proper thinking is do what you know to do. Okay, go to meetings or, or you read something, you pray, you meditate, and, and like I say, you feel depressed and you feel hopeless. The idea is, okay, you feel hopeless, you got to change that. You got to focus on, you got to read something, you got to talk to somebody. But the other thing that works is just forget yourself and help somebody else. So that, there's yeah. all of these things that can you can do. But the main thing is realizing that you, I realize, and this is what I do even more, the same things I've been doing when I first came around is the same thing, is I'm grateful for the fact that I, have to, I don't have to go and wait on some street corner and people call me a dope fiend to get my fix. I have to do that. So for me, it's easy because I was in hell. I ain't in hell no more. So I'm so grateful not have to go and say, well, fuck, I got to go get high again. Yeah. Or I got to oh. go get a drink or I got to do this. I don't have that. So I'm, I have so much gratitude that I'm breathing. And more, as long as I'm breathing, as John kabat would say, there's more right with me than what's wrong with me. So it's really more about me realizing I'm a bad mofo. I'm just so, a bad mofo. I like and, and I need to just, just allow allow my my masterpiece to express itself so i'm gonna have to figure out like you said how to get rid of the noise and clutter and just make the next play it's really that simple then the next play then the next play then the next play so day at a time i say a moment at a time and it's just really a matter of so i read a lot i talk to people i watch videos it's very different now there's so much access to support uh, you can do things on Zoom. You have no reason not to go to a meeting or to get around people who are doing the same thing. So you have to get around people. Like my father said to me, and I used to think he was he was a drunk, and I used to say, oh, drunk mofo. He don't know what he's talking about. But he said, be careful who you hang with. So if you want to get clean, you got to hang with people who are clean. If you want to you be wise, you got to hang with wise people. And it's, it's really that simple. Well, you know, what I took out of that that most people can apply, again, because some of this applies more to acts, alcoholics, or people in business. But the one thing we can all take out of this, no matter who's watching this, no matter where they are, is you have a routine. You get up. You yeah. pray to a God that you believe in. From there, you read something positive. you got to fill your mind. I tell people, if you're not filling your mind with something positive, then I can assure you there's going to be something shitty in there. It's never empty. Right. From there, service, you know, it took me years to understand that when I'm depressed, I'm depressed. I want to do sheet therapy. Pull the blankets. Out. I don't want to get up. I'm dealing with this. My, I wake up. I used to wake up every day at 5 a.m. My heart be pounding. My head be racing. And I wouldn't get out of bed because I have so much anxiety. I would try to stay in bed, fall back asleep, twitch, turn. So about 7:45 when I drove my daughter to school. One day I said, "Excuse me, I said, fuck this. I'm done." I woke up. I said, "I'm getting out of bed now. I'm exhausted." I put my sweatpants on, moped down to the basement, which is cold. I made myself work out. Then I had a protein shake. Before we left, I had a yogurt with some fruit in it. Next thing I know, I'm driving my daughter to school. By the time I got to work, I had like four wins in my day. I did four things positive. And then I had already prayed right when I woke up. Every day I just said, roll out of bed, hit my knees and pray. From that point forward, I realized 
I can control. I can't, listen, I can't control what goes on when I first rob it, but I can take care of it from there. And the biggest thing for me is, what you said, service. I, I just started really getting into this the last school. I used to volunteer at the jail more. I'm still going in most of the time. But the thing is, I used to go in there like three times a week. I just can't do it right now. So I realized one of the biggest things you touched on is when I do service work, you know, I used to go to the jail three times a week. Now, probably once a week. But I do other service things. But if I'm down, I call somebody who I know who's struggling with something, depression, drugs, alcohol. And I, I basically call somebody who, who's a little lower than me. And I mean, in terms of like whatever I'm going through. And then I go pick them up, take them for a coffee. And before I know it, I'm not down anymore. So, George, um, one of the most amazing, it was, I was asking you to come on this before I even realized your book was already out. Unlocked. Give us the bottom line. Tell me about it. Unlocked is really my experience of understanding my book, The Mindful Athlete. I talked about the masterpiece within. Yeah. So, Unlocked is really about embracing my greatness. And when I embrace my greatness, and I say yes to whatever is happening, because believe it or not, embracing my greatness is not very easy. Well, saying yes to what's happening isn't always easy. You know, the acceptance stuff is not easy. No, but it's it's the commitment to keep trying. So maybe I'll give you an example. So I was in Copenhagen at the, the president's um, uh, summit, and there's a lot going on, and I'm listening to speakers, and these speakers are great and everything. And I go back to my room, and we had planned on, uh, I only had 20 minutes, 30, 20 minutes, and then 10 minutes for questions, so we were going to use a deck. And then we decided that, no, that wasn't quite appropriate. And so I had to figure out how to do things. Um, and so I go back to my room, and I meditate, and I pray, and I start reading my book. Now, I wrote the book, but I read it. And when I picked up the book and I looked at it, there was a thing in here uh, that, let me see if I could find it um i don't have my glasses on so i turn the page too and it says my mission has been to help anyone in any place at any time unlock the greatness within them the greatness within is why we are alive it is what we have to offer to the world and so this so even my mindful athlete book i read it 50 times um i don't know how many times but 50 something times but it's really getting anything that gets us access to higher power or gets us in a frame of mind of seeing, of abundance, of seeing things in, in a certain way. So I, I wrote this book because um, I want other people to unlock, like I, I have unlocked. Now, unlock isn't what, something you do <coughs> and you're always there. Unlock is something you do moment to moment and in certain areas of our lives, we're able to just, just express ourselves honestly, freely, it's like being in a zone, just being spontaneous. Like, um, and I, that happens a lot when I can just be still and know there's something about when we can unlock, when we embrace, yes, I have this masterpiece within me. I have the divine spark. Um, there's just a, this unlimited potential inside of me and that I can access it. It can be developed and accessed, but only I can do it as an inside game. And to the degree that I can do that, I will have an amazing creative, um, live life creatively and fully. And so for me, when I talk about being unlocked, it's, it's really as simple as, if you might imagine, uh, when I lose something, the more I try to find it, I can't find yeah. it. But then when I just let go and I just let it go, then it comes to me where it is. And so that's being unlocked is how do we get untangled and how do we just, just, form an intention and allow things 
things to happen because once I embrace the fact that I'm a bad mofo that and it's, it, and that I could do things, but then when I when I say I'm going to help somebody because the service thing you talked about, I want to be clear about that. Sometimes service for me is is washing the dishes in the sink. Absolutely. Sometimes service to me is doing the little kindness things, like you said, giving people money or whatever. But it's always about how can I be helpful. And sometimes we don't believe this, but the best way we can be helpful is to be our, our real self. Because to the degree that I can embrace my greatness on a good day or in a certain situation, then it helps other people do the same thing. And so for me, it's really simple. It's like once we can, we have to get into that that abundance paradigm. We have to see that that um, there's a friendly universe. It's just friendly. It's an alignment to it. There's it's, it's a lawfulness to it. Once I can embrace embrace that, and then realize that. Only I can do it from the inside out. So I had to be like that caterpillar that goes into into that crystallis and struggles to get out of it. And the struggle of getting out of it allows me, gives me the power to, to, to fly. So no struggle, no swag. So if you have struggle or difficulty, it's an opportunity to say yes to it. And there's a lesson here. And I'm going to, because I express myself when under difficulty that, that that um essence that's inside of me will express itself there's a way of of that it being unlocked when i can just see things and say how can i help or what is this and how can i how can i look at it so for me the unlock is about once we embrace our greatness which is a struggle but if we even do it a little bit then we can find the flow because what we discover is when we're being ourselves and when we're clear about what we want to do then it's just a matter of, of, of getting a process to do it. And what, what happens is you find your flow, you find, find your rhythm, you find how you need to do things. And when you find the flow, you discover success. So it's embrace your greatness, which you talked about in this book, how to do that. Because for me, I think my biggest challenge is saying yes to my greatness because the other side of that coin is anxiety, uncertainty. So it's unpleasant. So I have, you have to be, to unlock, you have to get, comfortable being uncomfortable, but realizing that whatever's in front of us, whatever is there, if we can say yes to it and generate the hope, we're going to find ourselves and we're going to find our flow. Hold on, I'm going to wrap up. I just got to do one thing. Okay. No. So I tried to simplify that. No, perfect. <clears throat> All right, you guys ready? I'm going to wrap up here. Okay. So George, that was great. And I'm going to tell you what, what really hit me was our whole podcast our whole mission i call it cracking the code because frankly i think that most men when they're on their a game if you're really doing all the right things you're trying to eat healthy workout blah blah blah. you're doing your best you have your marriage your relationships your business you know i always say this four b's your body your being your spiritual being your bonds mm -hmm. and, your, and your business like what you do and those four but here's the thing just like four things on the lock most guys when they're at the best they'll get three out of four right very few of us ever have days, and it's, and it's a daily struggle. When I think about, you know, I think of the mindful athlete, because I've used that as a resource many times for myself, my own business, and also now unlocked both of those resources to get that fourth number right. Um, I'm thrilled. I'm psyched. I'm going to be reading it and calling you probably every day with questions, just like I usually do. And uh, George, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate so, you, bro. I'll just say, say what I want to want to say is we have books, we have techniques, and we have all of these things. But what I know is when I can be still and know, when I can just 
be still and observe things, let things speak to speak to me in their own language. When we can be in that eye of the hurricane, I'd call it, or that place of rest that's inside of all of us, especially athletes, we know it because we feel it. When we can act out of that, there's a wisdom and a creativity that expresses itself in that. So even though we talk about all these techniques and whatnot, but in this moment, if I can just be still and just let whatever's there speak to me and just be vulnerable enough to let it express itself, then there's a way of seeing things. And when we see things clear, there's a, there's a clarity and the seeing and the acting arise, co-arise. And so we just know what to do. And if you can't really quantify it, but we some bad mofos once we decide that we can be still and we really see what's there. When we see clearly, our actions will be clear and there'll be an expression of that masterpiece or that unlocking that's happening. So we all have unlocked experiences. We just got to notice them so that we can have more of them.